AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Software Radio. I'm your host today, Steve Balistrieri. Joining me today, we have a very special guest. Uh, Mike Sorelli was a force, um, Marine Force Recon NCO. He was a Navy SEAL officer, did tours of duty in Iraq. I think, I believe, Afghanistan as well. He's been around the world. He's, uh, he's what I would call one of the subject matter experts on 
leadership and teaching leadership. And there is a, a Darth of that in the civilian world. And uh, he's just written a book and it is a fantastic one. It's called The Talent War, How Special Operations and Great Organizations Went on Talent. And uh, I think our listeners today are really going to get into this. I think they're going to love it. And when you listen to, uh, to Mike, I think you're going to understand exactly where he's coming from in this. So before I get any further, Mike, welcome to the podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time today, especially just before Thanksgiving. Dude, I, I'm humbled to be here. And Steve, I, I you know appreciative that you'd even have me on. And, and thank you for that intro. Just one fact check. Um, didn't make it to Force Recon. I was Battalion Recon, First Recon uh, Company at the time, and then okay. turned into a battalion. Uh, uh, tried out for Force Recon, loved those guys, but got picked up for an officer program uh, before that uh, that came to fruition. Okay, my mistake. I thought you were, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you were uh, in Recon, that was before they were special ops, right? It it was, and the driving factor of why I switched over to the SEALs is that you know, as a Recon Marine. When, when we'd step on ship with the SEALs, dude, they, they had more funding. Uh, they were getting missions, and, you know, we were losing out in, in the Marine Corps uh, because of that. And that's why I switched over to, uh, to, to SOCOM and tried out for the SEALs. Okay. Uh, just fill in our listeners just a little bit. It, you don't have to go too in-depth if you don't want to about your military career um, and how you ended up where you're at right now with the, you know, being an author and – you know, a talent coordinator, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say author that that still doesn't strike you know <laughs> hit home with just a dude that wrote a book uh, on a subject that he's uh, he's passionate about with 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 two other guys that are good dudes. But you know, I I enlisted in the Marine Corps uh, fairly uh, soon after high school. I'd met a Force Recon Marine, and I'm like, dude, I, I want to be just like that guy, humbly competent, articulate, respectful of everyone. Uh, people just grab, gravitated towards them. And, and you talk about it, like the perfect recruiting tool. It, it's that, that army green beret out there who's, who's, you know, showing the organization in just the best light. Um, that's what draws young men uh, in, into the military like me for good reason. But uh, I made it to first recon battalion, went through the same school that the first recon guys went through. I was just two junior, uh, became a scout sniper in the Marine Corps. And then uh, after uh, a few years in the Marine Corps said, Hey, we, we want to make you an officer. So they sent me back to school to finish my degree. The war kicked off. Uh, I finished school three years, uh, doubled up on credits to get out of there and, and, and join the war effort. Um, and before I did, uh, after Marine OCS, I, I put an inter-service transfer in and went to BUDS, tried out for the SEALs. Served uh, a few deployments, my first initial deployments in Iraq, Battle of uh, Ramadi, Battle of Sadr City. And then after that, went back to instruct young SEAL officers. I was their last line of defense to turn them into ground force commanders, as we call it. And while I was there, I received an invitation to try out for JSOC. Uh, made it through that assessment and selection. Spent the majority of my career uh, at JSOC. Uh, Ten total combat deployments, uh, 11 uh, deployments in total. Um, and just consider myself fortunate to have served uh, alongside some of the most selfless, uh, men and women who I truly believe are, are the very best that America uh, has. And, and that's why uh, I wrote this book uh, to paint veterans in a different light and also help businesses as they look to form their own uh, elite teams. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the book and you talk about this, there's such a misconception, I think, in the civilian world and, you know, big business about what military leadership really is. And, you know, I think misconceptions about how military people are when they bring them into their organization. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and you, you talked about that in your book. And, you know, um, I think we've all had experiences with that. Um, I know I did. Uh, when I got to a civilian company, I did an interview with people. And when they found out I was SF, th they were like, hey, uh, we hope you don't get too stressed out here in the interview. And I was like, what, what would you think is going to happen here? You know, it was like they, they were treating you with kid gloves because they think, you know, uh, that special operators as a whole, not just SF guys. I mean, they think we're kind of like these mindless drones who just follow orders and go blow stuff up. And it, it was kind of I took it insultingly at, at the time. It's so. Steve, I, I've got a theory on this, and it's, you know, it, it's both the good and the bad, but it, it comes from the same source. If I'm going to make an assessment about what, like, investment banking is like, uh, I'm going to base that off of the movie Wall Street or, or Wolf of Wall Street um, because I've never been in that, that community or books I read. Hollywood, because 99% of Americans don't serve in the military, their, their opinions about the military are formed uh, from Hollywood. Hollywood is the greatest recruiting tool for the military. It's also the worst enemy in painting veterans in, in a negative light. You look at Platoon, uh, which is the Vietnam era that, you know, a lot of Vietnam veterans hated that movie because they're like, hey, that, 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 that paints us in a really horrible light. And that's not, that's not how we want to be uh, conveyed. You know, my first time, because I didn't come from the military lineage, uh, I came from, from the Bay Area. And so I was stationed at Camp Pendleton. One day, because I was one of the only dudes with a car, I had a, a Nissan Pathfinder. We literally squeezed 10 dudes for the six-hour drive from San Diego to the Bay Area uh, to go stay at my folks' home for, uh, for one weekend. And, of course, we partied our asses off. But when I came in, my mom was shocked because, you know, hey, part of the military culture is sometimes guys have sleeve tattoos. And she's like, when you guys walked in, uh, it was like a biker gang walked into the house, you know, <laughs> they cut. and she, she said, I made this snap judgment. And she told me this after the weekend, she's like, I've never met more respectful, articulate, like young men in my life. And she was like, she, she looked at me and she's like, I'm so proud of what you're doing. Uh, cause of course in 98, they had reservations about me joining the military. You know, the, we, 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 that wasn't a highlight or, or a great time in the military. Uh, you know, funding wasn't great. We didn't have great training. And, you know, every time as I went to the SEALs, I would take my platoon or my troop to Silicon Valley to meet with business leaders. The business leaders would come to me and be like, I have never met more result mission-oriented men in my life. I actually took a group of SEAL leaders from uh, JSOC to Silicon Valley in 2013. We met with Larry Ellison, Sergey Brin, Bill Campbell arranged this whole trip. He's the secret coach of Silicon Valley. He's no longer with us. Carol Bartz of Yahoo, Mark Benioff. I mean, the list goes on. Mark Andreessen, uh, authors themselves. And each of them were like, if I had a talent pool like this, I would hire all these guys in a heartbeat. And the, people, again, you know, 
we had a purpose during the global war on terror. We believed in what we were doing. And some of my guys, enlisted guys, have two master's degrees. Some of them are at Harvard or Wharton right now. And they got their undergraduates at American Military University uh, or, or, or Trident Military University or, or, or Norwich. Uh, they got it while they were on deployment. And now they're getting masters from Ivy League schools. That's how intelligent these guys are. That's how uh, driven these men and women are. I mean, these are people that company, companies couldn't pay enough money for to step in, run a respective department or team within their businesses, and drive the organization to a new level. And that's what America – but this book ain't about that. It's more about how special operations assesses and flex and builds their team based off character. But, yeah, I think it hits home that, you know, this talent pool – is probably one of the most prolific talent pools in America, and it's the most overlooked as well. I, I firmly believe that. Um, and and you talk about it in the book because basically, you know, when, when you're hiring talent, whether it be in the special ops community or in the business community, it's all about finding the right person. And you know, when reading your book, you know, one of the things that I stands out right away is the. Uh, you know, the forward was written by Jocko, who's a guy that I have tremendous amount of respect for. I've read some of Never his heard. stuff. <laughs> who's yeah. it? Jocko. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and then, then come to find out you guys serve together. I've watched some of his podcasts. I think he's like, he's one of those guys that you put up there as like one of the most intriguing characters there are because he's just, he's a guy you put up there because I think he he epitomizes everything that we look for in a special operator, and uh, you know, reading his uh, his forward in there set the tone for the book right away. But it's all about the people. That's what it comes down to. People. Everyone looks for this or that, but it always comes down to people and leadership. And uh, that's what you know you were talking about in the book, where you said talent and leadership equal victory. And I, I thought that stood out right away. And it all starts at the beginning about assessing, assessing and selecting the right people. And Steve, yeah, I've got to highlight to the, uh, the audience um, because we, we talked before we started recording that this book actually start, starts off about a story uh, about the fifth special forces group, which we all know, you know, that's mm -hmm. your community known as, and what these small, 12-man teams did against an estimated enemy force of Taliban and Al-Qaeda to the tune of 50 to 75,000. A few hundred Green Berets defeated a far superior numerically force, uh, numerical uh, force uh, by building coalitions with friendly uh, Afghans. So uh, I, I made it a very particular note that SEAL wrote a book and started off about uh, Army Special Forces. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of that I highly respect it. I don't really play into the whole, hey, who, who's better SEALs or, or uh, special forces? If I were to create my version of Rainbow Six, it would just be that. There'd be guys from the SF community. There'd be dudes from JSOC. There would be some SEALs in there. There'd be some Force Recon Marines, now MARSOC. Uh, you know, each community draws exceptional talent. But um, Jocko writing the forward, Jocko was a mentor of mine. I served in his task unit during the Battle of Ramadi. And the funny thing about leadership is I don't think there's an original thought on, on the concept of leadership out there anymore. I, I know I don't have an original thought. I am a compilation of great mentors and coaches, Jocko being one of it. Uh, a lot of Marine officers and Marine senior enlisted. 
a lot of SEAL senior enlisted and a lot of SF uh, officers and senior enlisted because I got to be a guest instructor at phase two at the SF qualification course for about two months. I was blown away by the systems that, that, that you guys had put in place to assess talent. And, uh, you know, Chris Fussell, who penned the book Team of Teams for Stanley McChrystal, was one of my commanding officers. It's just a long line of great leaders that I had the privilege to serve for, and hopefully I'm carrying on uh, their name in, in a positive light. Yeah, and um, you know uh, when you when you wrote the book, uh, you had a, a couple of co-authors, really intriguing people as well. Uh, Josh Cotton, who worked with Navy Special Operators, Marine Corps uh, Special Operators, SF guys, and uh, George. And I, I I caught part of a uh, podcast you and George did that was really really good. How did you guys all get together? So Dr. Cotton and I met after uh, I retired. I started a foundation with the help of uh, General Tony Kukolo, Admiral Bobby Inman, who's also the former uh, you know, director of, of the CIA and Admiral McCready. Um, and Dr. Cotton had been hired by special operations to come in and assess how we assess and select and hopefully design some assessments to try to predict who would have a higher chance of making it through the, uh, the training. He was blown away by the caliber of talent that we have in the community to the point where he created something called the elite performance indicator that now businesses are using to assess uh, potential, you know, high-performing individuals during the, uh, the hiring process. So he, he brought what he learned by watching special operations and brought it to the, uh, the business world. And so we've, we've remained close. We have conversations about talent. And, you know, funny enough about Dr. Cotton, what I love is his humility. He'll, he'll give you a theory and he'll always follow it up with, but I don't know. Like <laughs> the data has to be collected for decades yeah. uh, to, to validate it. And then George Randall, um, an old Army dog, Mustang, uh, enlisted to officer back in the 80s, 90s, had been in talent acquisition for 20 years. This is, I mean, this is the power of LinkedIn reached out to me and said, hey, I saw you're in the space, highly admire what you're doing with EF Overwatch, which is my military uh, executive search firm, and said, would love to meet at Kirby Lane, which is an iconic breakfast place in Austin. We did. We've been friends ever since to the point where he, I actually asked him to serve as the pastor uh, at my wife and I's wedding. So, uh, you know, consider him a brother, and he definitely has the expertise in the hiring realm, uh, town acquisition and executive search. He's made over 80,000 hires or been involved in, stood up the veteran hiring program at Hewlett Packard, KPMG before it was bought by Deloitte, and and Booz Allen Hamilton. Um, So in terms of him prepping like vets for interviews in the job market, I've never found anyone as uh, astute or as skilled as he is. Yeah, and you know, one of the things you talked about in the book, um, a lot of, you know, when you talk in industry, and how people hire, they, they hire for experience. And a lot of times they hire from outside their own, their own organization. And, and it goes against everything that, you know, we believe in yeah. because, you know, in, in special ops, whether it be in the Navy SEAL team or SFA team, we promote from within because we train, um, you know, we train operators to basically take over our job, which a lot of people in the, civilian world are kind of 
they kind of loathe on that because they they try to steer away from that. They're always afraid somebody's going to take their job. And it all and again, it comes down to, you know, uh, hire for character, train for the skill, as you put out in uh, one of your chapters. I know I'm kind of bouncing around here in your book, but. No, you know, no, no. And see, that's a great point to, to accentuate. So let, let me preface this, my response with this. The default mode for human beings is actually to follow the path of least resistance, which means to be lazy and, and to choose the, the easy things that are objective and easy to measure, which if you're hiring somebody, it's very easy to look at somebody's resume and say, oh, they have five years of marketing experience, but this candidate over here who has great character has zero years of marketing experience. Let's go with the path of least resistance. Uh, the candidate that induces the least fear, the person with industry experience. And industry experience is not predictive uh, of success. You've seen this. You've seen young kids come through the 18 X-ray program. For the audience, that is what the SF community designed, namely, uh, I think, uh, Jerry Boykin, General Boykin, was very uh, uh, transformative uh, with that effort and, and basically got kids out of college and high school to come direct and try out directly for the special forces. And what they found is that they don't bring any bad habits in that they were as successful at becoming uh, special forces green berets as somebody that had five years of experience in the army, if not more uh, uh, successful. So, you know, if special operations hired for industry experience, we wouldn't have anyone to hire because it doesn't exist. I can't go to a high school in an auditorium of 100 kids and say, hey, raise your hand if you have a special operations experience. <laughs> Nobody raises hand. I say, oh, sorry, guys, that sucks. Go join the French Foreign Legion. Come back after you have five years. No. But that didn't deter us from building these elite teams. All we had to do was say, Roger, this is the talent pool that we draw from. So we need to become very good at assessing character in people with high potential. And that's what special operations set to task of designing something called assessment and selection, which when you look at how special operations does this, regardless of community, it basically is the world's longest behavioral interview. And we take people with zero industry experience and we turn them into professionals in a matter of two years, highly capable soldiers. In fact, the most capable soldiers in the world. And then we deploy them in small numbers against numerically superior forces. And time and time again, they emerge successful, delivering strategic impacts for our nation. Um, so as these companies look at, at the talent pools that are applying for these positions, you have to change your mindset. You have to become, as Jocko says, default aggressive and assess for character. Ultimately, the reason special operations has designed the training the way it is is not because we're sadistic and we like to see people in pain. No. We understand that it is only at one's limits, their mental and physical limits, that true character emerges. And that's what we're looking for. Funny enough, Brian Decker, who we both discussed before we hit record, a, a well-known Special Forces Lieutenant Colonel that sort of is credited with revolutionizing how Special Forces uh, assesses and selects talent, said that is also the point at one's limits that skills, hard skills actually degrade and all you're left with is character. COVID is a perfect example of where people thought they had a great workforce, but actually when chaos hit, a VUCA environment, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, 
the environment we thrive in as special operations. The business world felt that and a lot of their workforces were not equipped with the character needed to thrive in a very uh, uh, environment described by fear and uncertainty. Yeah, in fact, uh, you were you were mentioning Brian Decker earlier because, um, you know, when uh, I'm going to date myself here, but back in '88, I was uh, one of the instructors when they first started uh, selection and assessment. Back then, we used to call it um, Special Forces Orientation and Training. We call it SFOT the first few classes, and because we had never had an assessment and selection course. You know, when they brought instructors from the different groups into the Special Warfare Center, they said to us, well, uh, you guys are going to be working at selection or SFOT, which is now SFAS. And they said, uh, but before you can assess people, you have to actually go through the course, which didn't go over well because, you know, for the older guys who had been in, you know, the operational groups being reduced back to a candidate, for a couple of weeks while you go through that wasn't on the top of everyone's list, but then it all sunk in and how it's all supposed to work because this is where I think that's the, you know, and you talk about it in the book, you know, when, when somebody, they, they can go into an interview and always put their best foot forward and, you know, be personable and be charming and, you know, schmooze and, but you don't really know that person's character until he's cold, he's wet, he's tired, he's starving, uh, and he has a bunch of things being thrown in his face, and he has to make sound decisions and work as a member of a team. That's when you find out who these guys are. And I remember when classes start, and I'm sure uh, guys in the SEAL teams did it, you know, we'd all look at guys and say, oh, this guy looks like a stud. He's probably going to be fine. Yeah. Those are the guys that kind of dropped off the, you know, then right as you call it ringing the bell but our guys would just you know raise their hand that they want out those were a lot of times the first guys that that failed and, and the guys that you know you wouldn't think would be standing there at the end were and it was because they had those character traits that we're all looking for and, and it, it definitely it carries over into the civilian world does it not uh, without a doubt, here's the thing is a lot of people hire in their image or they hire for what, what they think is culture fit, which actually is likability. And that's what a lot of companies have, have uh, companies in the business world tend to like grab on to these, these, these buzzwords. It, it goes in phases. Um, like, you know, uh, what it was, uh, diversity inclusion being one of them, or mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of like, uh, the other one is it's about candor. And a lot of people are grasping onto this concept of culture fit. The culture is important. You have to be very intentional about, about uh, your culture, but what a lot of people are confusing with culture fit is actual likability. And because you want to share a beer with somebody does not mean that they are a good fit for the team or because they think like you. Ultimately within special operations, and I, and I tell this to people, is I'm like, if you think I liked all the SEALs on my team, or if all the SEALs on my team like me, you're wrong. But as professionals, we knew we were a high-performing team that could put their egos and their feelings aside to achieve a common goal. And that's what really a company is. You're building a high-performing team. You're not building a family. We all have those. You're building a high-performing team. You don't need to like everyone on your team. 
it, even from a sports perspective, if you go back and watch about, you know, the, the Michael Jordan era uh, mm-hmm. of, of the Bulls or the New York Yankees when, you know, they had uh, Jeter and, uh, and A-Rod, no, no, like not all of them got along, but they could perform as a team. And that's what matters. The business world has to be very careful here. Your talent is not going to look like a particular size, sex, gender, sexual orientation. It's all over the place. And Steve, let me share this last story uh, with you. In Buds, there was a kid who was really unassuming. And here I am, a, a recon marine and a scout sniper, sending it, uh, stepping into SEAL training. And I had instant sort of respect from the other students. And they did gravitate towards me. Um, and I was sort of, you know, the standout leader in that class uh, because I'd been through those environments before, uh, thrived out of every school I went to. It was usually the honor man, even out of Marine OCS. Um, and I, I just sort of looked past this one kid, shrugged my shoulders and thought, oh, you probably won't be here in a week or two. That kid went on to pass SEAL training, stood right next to me in Hell Week, then checked into SEAL Team 3 with me. Um, became a special operations medic, which we call an 18 Delta. So went through that school, which is not an easy school. Went to sniper school. And on our first deployment, we ended up in the same task unit in, during the Battle of Ramadi. Uh, this individual was awarded the Silver Star, then went on another deployment with me to the Battle uh, of Sadr City, where he performed. Navy said, we want to make you an officer. They sent him to the University of San Diego, where he got a 3.98 in uh, mathematics, uh, which I don't know who, who takes mathematics as a... Uh, uh, a undergrad uh, subject, but he got a 3.98. Decided he wanted to become a doctor. The Navy sent him to Harvard because he got in. Become became a medical or Harvard medical uh, educated uh, doctor. Served as a doctor for a few years and said, "Why not? I'll apply for NASA." Out of 18,000 applicants, uh, he was one of 12 selected, and he did this all: SEAL, medic, Silver Star. Uh, you know, Harvard-educated doctor and NASA, NASA astronaut all by the age of 34. And I'm the guy who thought I knew what talent looks like, and I was wild. <laughs> His name is Dr. John and he's one of the most amazing human beings you'll ever meet. But nine out of ten people would have glanced right past him because he was, a, you know, at the time a scrawny uh, Asian kid, Korean-American uh, from, uh, from L.A. Yeah, I saw a story on him in Military Times not too long ago because they talked about the same thing. And uh, we're going to get into culture fit in just a minute. Uh, but real quick, uh, I have to pause for a second and read uh, an ad from one of our sponsors from ExpressVPN. And, uh, and then we'll get right back to this. Have you ever had a time when you search for something online and you didn't want others knowing about? I know most of you are probably thinking, Well, why don't you just use incognito mode on your computer? Let me tell you something, folks. Incognito mode doesn't hide your actual activity. doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Your Internet service provider can still see every single website you've visited. That's why when we're at home, we never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter if you get your Internet from Verizon, Comcast, or any other local ISP. ISPs in the U.S. can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their service servers, so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps your all, all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, you won't even realize you have ExpressVPN on. It runs 
seamlessly in the background, and it's very, very easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. It's available on all your devices, phones, computers, even your smart television. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it. Protect your online activity today with VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Exclusive our exclu- uh, Visit our exclusive link, excuse me, expressvpn.com slash soft rep, and you can get an extra three months free with a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash soft rep. Check it out, expressvpn.com slash soft rep to learn more. Okay, we're talking with Mike Sorelli. Excuse me for reading that for a second, but uh, I had to make sure we take care of our folks that take care of us. So, uh, Absolutely. Mike, Mike, when you talked about culture fit, you know, and you, you uh, read, wrote about this in the book, it immediately struck something in my mind. And you talk in the book about sports teams. One of the jobs I've had is I've covered the NFL, which is a big passion of mine. And I sat in on an interview with Bill Belichick from the New England Patriots that won six Super Bowls in the last two decades. And they're probably one of the most successful teams ever, really. And it's fascinating talking to him because, and you talk about this in the book, they said, what's the toughest part of coaching modern day athletes? And he said, getting them to buy into a team first mentality. He said, you would think, you know, everyone talks about team this and team that, but getting 53 individuals to completely buy in to being selfless, but putting the team ahead of their own personal success, maybe individual success for the, you know, for the betterment of the team is the toughest part of coaching. And I think you hit the nail on the head right there when in your book and you talked about, you know, the culture fit, it's not so much, um, like you said, likability, but it's putting the team first. And that's a big thing with special operators. We always put the team ahead of everyone else. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Yeah, and that's tough for any human to do. Let's be honest here. You know, the, the, the men and women in special operations, and again, to the audience, there are women in special operations that hold a multitude of, uh, of functions and roles. Um, and they're screened just, just as heavily as our, our, our special operators. But these are A-type personalities with their own agendas, their own ideas. Um, and, and that's okay. We, we encourage that. We, we want people to, to, to challenge the way we approach problem sets. We want them to challenge the way we think. We almost demand a, I call it a, uh, a healthy disrespect for authority within our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the way I coined it is we want people to push back and, and think outside the box. But um, at the end of the day, even though you have your own egos, egos and your own agendas, if you don't have the ability to put your needs as secondary to the overall organization, uh, then, then you're not going to be in that community for very long. You're not a team player. But here's the thing, too, is you, you've got to explain it to a young 23-year-old, uh, you know, uh, SEAL or Green Beret or Marsoc Raider of here's why you want to put the team first. Because if the team wins, that ultimately comes back to benefit you in the long term to a greater extent. And a lot of people in the business world don't understand that. You know, hey, I'm the top salesperson for this organization. I made the most revenue, which means I, I made the most commissions. But as a whole, the organization is not meeting its metrics and it's, it's getting decimated by its competition. Does that number one salesperson in a uh, underperforming organization, does that title really matter? No. But if I'm that top salesperson, I say, hey, you know what? I've got some best practices that I can share with these other salespeople. Because if I can bring all the other salespeople in this organization up to my level, well, guess what? We'll start to dominate our competition. We'll start to dominate our respective uh, industry or market space. And you just don't see a whole lot of that in the business world. No, and uh, I've, I've run into that, like I told you myself. Uh, you know, it, it's eye-opening when, after you've spent most of your, you know, adult life in the military, and then, you, you know, I don't want to say we're institutionalized, but we we get a little institutionalized when it comes to the way we're used to seeing things done and the way we treat leadership and we foster it. And that there's really not a lot of that. There's not enough of it, I should say, in the civilian world. I'm not saying it's totally absent, but it, it's definitely lacking in a lot of places. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting because they... Again, I, I go back to, I think it was around page 95 in your book. You talk about 
they hire industry experience over character. And that's just one of those things that, you know, we look at in special operations. You talk about assessment and selection. We do this all the time. And a lot of people are under this misconception. Oh, once you pass, you know, your assessment and selection, you're good to go. You're being assessed for the rest of your career. It just, as you pass, you talk about it in the book, as you pass one gate, another gate opens and you're expected to do more and more and more. And with that comes more responsibility. And uh, that's something that I think could definitely carry over more to the civilian community. So, you know, it's interesting. And Steve, if you look back and try to understand why you use that word institutionalized, I think you'd probably agree with me that because that's how we're described by the private sector. Like, ah, well, these veterans are institutionalized. It, and maybe we are in, 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 in the context uh, of that word, but when you're institutionalized in values like selflessness, drive, resiliency, adaptability, emotional strength, team ability, is that really institutionalized or is that the right no, way of doing things? That's the absolute right way. And one of the things that you talk about in your book, and I think a lot of people, especially in the civilian community, are under some misconceptions when it comes to special operators. You talk about how the Navy SEALs realized that, I mean, we all, I mean, we didn't get to where we were in the military without having an ego. Because when you say to yourself, I want to be one of the best of the best, and I mean, that takes a little bit of ego and we all have that. And you talked, you just mentioned that a minute ago. I mean, but at the same time, that humility steps in because even though you're very confident in your own ability, you have to understand one, there's always room. You can always get better. There's going to be other people that are going to be strong in other areas. I think a lot of people think, oh, well, he's a Navy SEAL. He's a Green Beret. He's going to be, you know, this arrogant person that nobody can talk to in the room. And that's ex the exact opposite of what makes us what we are. You, you know, so you, I've had this conversation with Jocko and, and actually another guy named Rich DeBinney, who uh, I served with uh, at Naval Special Warfare Development Group. He ran assessment and selection and, and sort of, you know, made some sweeping changes to how they run that as well. He's got a book called The Attributes, 25 Hidden Drivers to Optimal Performance, which comes out in January. And so, you know, ego, we actually like to say it's pride. So mm -hmm. pride can drive you to do amazing things. If your pride gets out of balance, it develops into ego, and um, ego can be your downfall. But what Rich Devinney also talks about, it, and he's, he's studied high performers, is there is a bit of narcissism. In all high performers, there is a bit of narcissism. And as he was explaining this to me, I'm like, that, that makes total sense. It doesn't mean they're off the, off the charts narcissists. No, but they are driven to the point of where they're going to drive results and nothing's going to stop them. And, and as he's explaining it, it totally makes sense. There, there is a bit of narcissism in all high performers uh, that drives them to, to accomplish great things. But yeah, definitely pride within the special operations community is what drives us to, to continually elevate the bar. But we've, you, you and I have seen, seen it, uh, Steve, where 
that pride can turn into ego, which can turn into complacency. And we've seen, you know, we, we, hey, we're not saying that special operations is immune to, to underperformers. We're not saying that. We've seen certain units, certain ODAs or SEAL platoons that have bad leadership, that develop ego, become complacency, and, and guess what? We've made the mistake of deploying them overseas, and it's those units that actually do bad things, sometimes do unethical things that make the front page. Um, because when special operations does something unethical, you can guarantee it's on the cover uh, of Wall Street Journal or USA Today. Um, oh, that's absolutely. But um, we, we've seen our, our share of bad leaders in the special operations community, um, but we learn from it. And that's actually the feedback loop uh, we talk about in the book is mm -hmm. that when somebody made it through our very long two-year assessment and selection process and goes on to take a leadership bill in special operations and then does something unethical, we as communities come together and say, what did we miss in assessing and selecting that individual into our community? And how do we change the process so we never let somebody like that in again? Or was it they served under some very bad mentors within the special operations community that led them to believe a certain behavior was acceptable? But we have right. those conversations. Businesses don't oh, yeah. do that. Most of yeah, them. It, I hate to make yeah. accusations. I'm sorry, I, I kept interrupting you. I, I was just going to say, uh, I remember my first team sergeant in, in SF, who's a guy I, I looked up to, especially when you're a young guy, you're just fresh out of, you know, the Q course, and you look to your team sergeant, that's your mentor. He's your coach. He's your trainer. He's the guy that's going to, as he used to say, I'm going to train you to do my job because that's my job is to make you you know, the eventual team sergeant. He used to say, and one of the things that it stuck with me, and I think you mentioned it in your book, there's not bad teams, there's bad leaders. Because when a team fails, it starts at the top with the leadership. And I think that, I mean, I think that strikes home 100% of the time. And we're not immune, like you said, we're not immune to it. I mean, we're not perfect either. Our sex, uh, excuse me, assessment and selection guys have slipped through that probably shouldn't have been on the teams we're, we're not perfect but i think we do it a lot better than everyone else's yeah hey dude i i come from a community which in the last year of the seal community we, we've had a lot of uh front page moments and you know a testament to the camaraderie between the different special operations communities my green brain buddies will call me and be like hey you guys are really representing well right now i'm like i know um, but the second something you identify a bad behavior in your organization, you got to get it out. And we're pretty good about that. Um, and, and again, you've got to learn from it. A lot of businesses, as I was saying, when they have a bad hire, they're like, oh, I was just a bad hire and they move on and start the process over again without thinking about what led to that moment and how they could potentially avoid those, those behaviors. Or, or, or select a candidate that, that uh, represents the values that they really align. And, and I want to come back to culture fit. The, 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 a good definition of culture fit for companies moving forward is do this candidate's values align with our organization? That's what culture fit is. Do they have the same values? Now, their personality may be different. They may be sort of a grumpy character. And, and again, going back to Rich Vinny, the Navy CEO I served with, uh, with the book coming out, he talks about authenticity. I would rather have somebody whose values align with me, but maybe they're just a grumpy character. But if they're grumpy all the time, then they're actually being authentic, 
which means I can trust that person. They're genuine. Um, and a lot of companies look for, again, that big personality that everyone likes and everyone wants to have a beer with. But you and I have seen those personalities in the special operations community that make it through the process. And it's usually those loud guys that are nowhere to be seen when the, uh, the work requires rolling up the sleeves. They're off schmoozing somebody else and running their mouth. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we've all seen those guys and, you know, they, we call them politicians in SF because you, you'd get somewhere and they were off, you know, trying to build rapport with somebody while everyone else is doing the work. But, you know, exactly. again, we're, we're not perfect. I mean, uh, we've let guys in that probably shouldn't have been, you know, I'm sure somebody out there is saying, yeah, Steve, you're one of them, but, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's the way it is. Uh, but, you know, one of the things you talked about, and again, I'm bouncing around your book because I, I have all these notes scribbled, the special operations truths that we all know and how it relates to the business truths. Number one is always the the best. Humans are more important than hardware. And again, you talked about that in your book. Human capital is the most critical resource Quality is better than quantity. I think that speaks for itself. I mean, a lot of these companies try to hire, as you said, just to fill a seat. And they're not worried about, you know, are they getting the right people? Special operations forces can't be mass produced. I think we both know that is it's never been, you know, it's never been an easy process. And you just can't say, you know, we ran into this in the, uh, in the late 80s, uh, you know, when they were trying to build up the Special Operations Command, the people from the Pentagon said, we need this many guys this year. Well, that's not going to work because the standards are saying the same. You know, it's like if we get that many guys in that are meeting the standards, by all means, they're going to be Green yeah. Berets. But if they don't, if we're only getting 20 percent of that, then guess what? And we're going to be 80% short, but that's the way it is. And you, you can't create, uh, you know, competent operational S, uh, SOF guys after emergencies occur. It has to be a long drawn up, you, as you said, a two year process just to get your foot in the door. And, you know, we talked about, uh, I think you mentioned earlier, um, you know, it's, it's a, world-class talent pool, but it's shrinking every year. It's getting harder and harder to find those kind of guys. And the last one, most special operations forces require non-SOF assistance. And, you know, you talk about that in the book. Uh, we have some of the best logistics and support personnel that support SOF operations. And those people are assessed and selected for their own, you know, jobs that they'll have they might not be operators but they're just as important as us to make sure that we're able to go out and do our job and and again in the business world it's the same thing they have to have all departments pulling in the same way i, I think that this is like uh this is it in a nutshell and i i don't think enough companies do this <clears throat> excuse me yeah the, you know the funny one about if you look at all those, for a business leader listening, there's, there's five special operations truths are the foundation uh, of special operations. And each one of the five talks about how important people are. It's not your technology. It's not your systems. It's your people. 
Technology doesn't commercialize itself. People do. Technology doesn't sell itself. People do. And, and mm-hmm. that's why you're good. Yeah. The quality is better than quantity. Hey, dude, no one summed this up better than a guy named uh, Colonel Charlie Beckwith, who was a Vietnam veteran, um, a very big personality. He drove the creation of what today is, is the Army component uh, of JSOC. And he, he said, I would rather go down the river with seven studs than 100 shitheads. <laughs> and that summed it up. If you've got a leader like this who was very disruptive and a pioneer within his respective area, say, I'd rather go with a handful of absolute high performers than take 100 people with me. That says something, especially into a scenario where your life is on the line. And that's why those few dozen ODAs of Green Berets went against a much larger force and came out on top. They had higher character. They had all the attributes that the Taliban and uh, Al-Qaeda lacked. That's, uh, it sums it up in a nutshell. Same thing you guys went through in Ramadi. And, you know, uh, in part of your book, you talk about preparing for war, which business, it's war without people getting killed, but it's the same thing. And, uh, you know, uh, you hire for character, you train for skill, and, you know, it comes down to that. I think a lot of companies, again, you, you talk about they don't have the right people in HR. They don't have the right, I guess, mindset of what they're actually trying to find, to you know, for these companies. And, again, it comes down to, like, the SOF people, the special operations community. You know, we have the kind of... I think, and you talk about it in the book, generalists who have all this experience all over the world, you know, and they're looking for a guy with a little niche in the private sector where they're over-specialized. And I think this is a big thing that uh, where, you know, special ops guys are hands down a better hire than some of these uh, guys who didn't have that kind of background. Brian Decker and I have talked about this uh, at length is there seems to be an over specialization within the market space. I, if you're hiring for a very select role for somebody that has to be a coder, yes, they, they have to, they, they ha- have to have that competency. But when you look at you know, management leadership, Actually, generalists are more equipped. I mean, this is what David Epstein wrote about in the book, Range, why generalists triumph in a specialized world. And the reason that I chose to make an executive search firm only source military leaders, that's who we put in front of companies, is because they're the ultimate definition of generalists. If you look at an Army Green Beret, one, they've been through the most rigorous selection process that, that no business can replicate. Then they were sent to Iraq a very specific culture with a very uh, unique set of challenges. And on the next deployment, they were in Afghanistan. Same thing, a very unique culture with a very unique set of challenges. And then after that, they went to Somalia and the same thing. And they've been placed in all these different scenarios. And when that Green Beret chooses to get out after 10 years, one, they probably already have a graduate degree, I'm sorry, undergrad degree, if they were enlisted, possibly a master's. And you're talking to somebody that faced 
so many different problem sets in so many different scenarios under the most extreme pressure. And now they have one of the widest experience bases in the world for which you can throw any challenge at them and they are more equipped than a specialist to solve an array of problems. COVID, again, is a perfect example for which, you know, military members have proved, proven for the most part unflappable during these last six to eight months. They're like, yep, this, this, this like totally uh, hails in comparison to anything uh, that we saw during the global war on terror. We're good. They almost like wipe the dust off their shoulder and says, business as usual. We'll, we'll find a way to maneuver within this environment. Um, and a lot of companies, we do the leadership consulting side, when they ran into COVID, their workforces lacked the character to, 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 to thrive in a VUCA environment. Yeah, and, and a lot of that is adaptability. And you talk about that in the book. I mean, the one thing that, you know, special operators can do is adapt to any, you talk about that, you know, any environment. Uh, if it's Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, Somalia, all very different. But, you know, our guys can adapt to that. And I think a lot of the people that are out there in the civilian workforce, they, they're, they're not... They're not wired to adapt, I don't think. You know, it's just um, you have to have that you have to have that drive to succeed. But you also think, you know, uh, the one thing that special operators do is we accept the fact that you're going to throw something at us that we've probably never done before, but we're going to find a way to get it done. And I think that's, you know, when you're talking about adaptability, that's what. I think what the SOF community does the absolute best. Yeah. And, you know, why is adaptability so important? Is because the business space, the private sector is defined as, as an ever-changing environment. You know, the digital transformation has changed everything. Um, we're still very much in the midst of that, that transformation. And when you hire somebody, why adaptability should always be a, a hiring requirement is you're asking yourself, hey, I'm hiring this person for what I need now. But does this person have the curiosity and adaptability to be relevant to this organization and to drive results 10 years from now when the market space in our company was very different? And of all the interviews we did, because this book also, we interviewed a lot of what I call private sector warriors mm -hmm. who are around within their space, particularly uh, the HR space. Uh, Patty McCord, uh, you know, we, well, we, we talked about Patty McCord, we didn't interview her. Uh, Tracy Keogh, who's the second highest paid uh, CHRO in the world. She's the uh, CHRO of uh, Hewlett Packard, the, the, the actual person that found Meg Whitman to lead that organization, is they all talked about the hire not only for what they need now, but for what they need 10 years from now. And how uh, that, that curiosity, the attributes of curiosity and adaptability are key in their decision-making process. So, uh, you know, people that were not adaptable, again, you go to COVID. And uh, a lot of organizations are no longer with us uh, because they, they've lacked that organizational trait. Okay. And, uh, you know, um, and again, I'm, I'm bouncing around your book because uh, I made uh, so many notes here. You talk about the, you know, in the civilian world, the hiring process. One of the things that always, you know, irks me when I've done interviews is when they ask the question and you write about it in your book. And that's why I, I circled that. Cause I was like, damn, 
this is like one of those things that grinds my gears when when a hiring manager says why should we hire you and it's like you talk about it in the book that's one of the things i was like isn't that the question i should be asking you you should be a- a- answering that yourself it's like i hate that question and uh you know it's <laughs> no one knows like you said their own company like they do it's not their job to know why you should hire them if that's your job right so i don't know it's just one of those things i'm bouncing around i know i'm bouncing i'm probably driving you crazy here i'm bouncing all around your book but you make so many good comments in here and this is like great stuff but um so tell me and tell our listeners uh how is the leadership going i know you teach a lot of that are companies actually uh, are they being receptive to what you guys are teaching now? Yeah, I, you know I've got to hand it to what Jocko uh, Willink and Leif Babin, the the two co-authors of Extreme Ownership, have done. One, you, you know, Jocko will be the first to tell you that this is not proprietary information. Jocko and Leif are like avid readers, and all they read is books about military leadership uh, in war, and um, they took. They took all these great nuggets from leaders like General Patton and David Hackworth, and, and the list goes on. And they basically took military leadership and, and even the leadership manuals designed by the Army and the military and basically packaged something in such a simplistic, easily digestible uh, leadership system called extreme ownership. And so they've been working with companies since, I want to say, like 2011. The book came out in 2015. The amount of consulting engagements we have through the, the, the companies called Echelon Front um, is hard to keep up with. Um, and the companies that pick ownership over extreme ownership have seen their cultures change. And it's also, it's a humility to, you know, for a lot of these business leaders who have built these amazing organizations who never went through a leadership development program, come to us and say, hey, you know what, I, I don't think I actually anyone sort of formally taught me how to lead. And so because of that, I'm not like the best equipped to teach my people uh, in in the correct forms of leadership. And so when a company owner or CEO says that, it's just like the, it's the driving factor for me, you know, this company is going to buy in. And when the companies Mm -hmm. buy in, again, in the cultures shift to a much more positive mindset uh, to people working together as a team, communicating in a different way. And again, the, the metrics in terms of business, business metrics from increased revenue, uh, decreased safety incidents if, if they're in a, a blue-collar environment, um, you know, higher profit margins, higher customer satisfaction, and, and equally as important, high employee engagement. People are engaged. There's a growth mindset. The, uh, the results have been phenomenal. And again, that company is Echelon Front. Uh, you can go to echelonfront.com. Um, and contact the uh, the director of operations there. But uh, beyond the keynote speaking and the workshops, the what they call them leadership development and alignment programs have uh, have proven their worth for a lot of organizations. All right. Well, I've taken up a lot of your afternoon, and I know I've bounced all around your book, probably in going in circles. But I really want to thank you for taking the time today. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? with your book, with your training seminars before we uh, cut this off and we all go enjoy our Thanksgiving weekend. 
Absolutely. You know, well, the book, The Talent War, you can pick it up anywhere books are sold. Um, and we do have a company called EFOverwatch.com if you need help sourcing talent or if you need help creating a world talent acquisition process. I've got a group of very uh, seasoned, proven, uh, you know, CHROs and talent acquisition executives. But uh, one, Steve, always good to connect with uh, former special operations leaders. Uh, you set the stage for my generation to, to come in and crush it. And hopefully we did the same for the next generation. I will tell you this, Steve, I spoke to about 80 Marine and Navy option midshipmen from the uh, Ohio State University last week. We had to do it virtually, of course. And, you know, when I spoke with these young men and women about leadership uh, in some of their questions, it hit me. I'm like, this generation is so much better than we were. And, and the, the next generation is going to pick up the torch and hold the line. Uh, and then to everyone, happy Thanksgiving. God bless America. Thanks for the opportunity, Steve. Absolutely. It was a pleasure having you. And, you know, you, you talked about Brian Decker a couple of times in your book. And, uh, you know, uh, as a special operator, uh, I worked at selection and assessment. And then, you know, we talked offline how Brian came in and made a bunch of changes. And, you know, at first when you're, you know, you, when you're there at the outset and we talked about that, uh, you know, that's kind of like your baby. You don't like hearing anyone changing anything. Then after talking with Brian and how he changed the selection and assessment course, how much better it is now. And, you know, at the time we didn't realize we were, we were teaching them to maybe uh, be successful in, in a certain exercise rather than assessing their character. And I think, you know, when it comes to assessment and selection, your generation is light years ahead of where ours was. And as you said, these next group of people, they're going to make us all proud of what they can do, you know, in the special operations and in our uh, in economy. I, I think, you know, I, I know a lot of people are kind of jaded about the way the direction our country's heading. I think it's it's still we still have a lot to look forward to. Could, could not agree more that that's just emotions with, with this last election. Uh, no one leader is going to take this country in a drastically different direction. that people wouldn't allow it. Uh, we're, we're, we're in good hands. I, I agree with you, Steve. All right. Hey, thanks again for taking the time today. I, I really appreciate it. And folks, uh, make sure you, you read the book, The Talent War. This is fantastic stuff, if, especially for some of our veterans who uh, are maybe active duty soldiers and sailors, Marines, airmen who are getting ready to get out. I mean, this will definitely help you along because – I think this is the direction our our business leaders need to take. It's all about people. It's all about leadership. And I think uh, special ops leads the way on that. Mike, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Have you ever had a time when you search for something online and you didn't want others knowing about? I know most of you are probably thinking, well, why don't you just use incognito mode on your computer? Let me tell you something, folks. Incognito mode doesn't hide your actual activity. doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Your internet service provider can still see every single website you've visited. That's why when we're at home, we never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter if you get your internet from Verizon, Comcast, or any other local ISP. 
ISPs in the U.S. can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their service servers, so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps your all, all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, you won't even realize you have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background, and it's very, very easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. It's available on all your devices, phones, computers, even your smart television. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it. Protect your online activity today with VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Exclusive, our exclu uh, visit our exclusive link, excuse me, expressvpn.com slash soft rep, and you can get an extra three months free with a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash soft rep. Check it out, expressvpn.com slash softrep to learn more. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.